Jeremiah chapter 31. In a moment, the reading will be starting in verse 31. We are now between the third commandment and the fourth. The fourth commandment, um, remember the Sabbath day, etc., is difficult to master without a firm understanding of our relationship with the Ten Commandments, of which it is the fourth. The Ten Commandments, also referred to a number of times in the literature as the Decalogue, ten words. The Ten Commandments, or Decalogue, as a unit, are still God's will for us today in the New Covenant as the disciples of Jesus Christ, as his congregation. You've heard me speak before on that subject, probably several times. That doctrine is chapter 19 of our 689 Confession of the Law of God. I recommend that to you as a good reading. Also, in the introduction to this series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, I spoke on this subject about six months ago. But we need to visit this subject again before going on to the fourth commandment. However, I don't want to just repeat the same material in the same terms. Um, Now, in some things, that's very good, as is going to actually come up in this sermon. Um, But, you know, I don't want to stand before you and just put to you the same things, um, always in the same, same way, never looking at them from another angle or helping in another way. So I went looking for another way to put this doctrine of God's law in Ten Commandments to your conscience. And what I found was very refreshing. I found that this subject was emphasized by Luther and the others uh, with him during the Reformation in the 1500s. Both by those men in the first generation... Luther and those with him personally in the early 1500s, and also in the broader Lutheran movement in the second generation in the late 1500s. This is not the first time that I have been uh, refreshed and helped by Martin Luther material. Um, Years ago, when I taught through Galatians on Wednesday evening, I went and consulted the Martin Luther commentary often, in Galatians, and then um, six years ago, uh, when it was the 500th anniversary of the 95 Theses, then I went and read in the 95 Theses and in his explanations of them. You remember I, I spoke to you for several weeks on, um, on those 95 Theses, not so much about the Theses themselves, but on what they teach us about God's, God's grace and, and about the church. And then um, I spoke I went and looked in the Augsburg um, Confession a while back when the subject in our study through our confession uh, was the regulative principle of worship and the man-made holy days and things like that. And um, every so most of the times I've gone to Martin Luther, I've been very uh, much helped and refreshed by the things that he, that he wrote. I'm thankful for all that he wrote that's come as a, as a treasure trove to us. Um, we don't uh, agree with everything that Martin Luther ever said or did, um, but we believe that the Lord uh, helped the reformers along in every generation. We're so thankful that 
by the mid-1600s. The Reformation had consummated in the particular Baptist movement of which we are um, heirs, Um, but we're we're thankful for the earlier reforms, even if they were incomplete. So with those early Protestants, Martin Luther and others helping me, I'm posing and answering today this question about the Ten Commandments. God spoke the Ten Commandments and carved them in stone at Mount Sinai in the time of Moses, in the establishment of the Old Covenant with Israel. But now that the Old Covenant is ended and the New Covenant instituted in the blood of Jesus Christ, what are we Christians to do with the Ten Commandments today? Are the Ten Commandments to govern us as a congregation? Should the preacher, namely me, but, you know, generically any preacher, should the preacher be preaching and insisting on the Decalogue in the sermons? Should I make the Ten Commandments a prominent part of my children's education? Am I to study and teach and command the Decalogue in my home? To grow mature as a Christian, to put to death the flesh and walk by the Spirit, to be conformed to the mind of Christ, to be a blessing to other people, should I make use of the Ten Commandments. Now, both the passage from Romans 13 that Brother Peter read earlier and the passage from Jeremiah 31 that I'm about to read were cited um, by Philip Melanchthon, 1531, as proofs that the Ten Commandments, or Decalogue, teach us Christians how we should love God and love other people. They also are among the scriptures cited by modern-day Reformed Baptist scholars in advocating our continued use of the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to word-for-word or line-by-line expound either of those passages today, but I'm starting with them and going from there into the advice that Uh, Martin Luther and others gave us on the use of the Ten Commandments. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now just to make sure you're realizing why start with the passage from Romans 13 that Brother Peter read us, why start with this passage here in talking about 
um, what we're supposed to do with the Ten Commandments today, notice in Romans 13 there that the apostle, in giving instructions to the congregation, listed off the commandments in the second table of the law, treating them as if they are still a unit to be cited all together in a list. And then here, the um, prophecy God gave through Jeremiah is that in the new covenant, um, God would write his law on our hearts, alluding to the way that in the old covenant, he wrote his law on the stone tablets. The new covenant, he would write his law on our hearts, the implication being it's the same law that is written on our hearts that was written on the stone tablets. So the question, God spoke the Ten Commandments and carved them in stone at Mount Sinai in the time of Moses. And he did so in the context of establishing the Old Covenant with Israel. But now that the Old Covenant is ended and the New Covenant instituted in the blood of Jesus Christ, what are we Christians to do with the Ten Commandments today? Well, in his preface to his catechisms, Martin Luther advocated teaching everyone the Ten Commandments. Martin Luther, born 1483, died 1546, uh, the leading figure in the Great Reformation of God's churches in Europe, most famous for the 95 Theses posted in 1517, pointing out corruptions in the Roman Catholic system. Well, several years uh, after that, after visiting among the German people in the late 1520s, Luther was very distressed at church members' ignorance of Christian doctrine. He wrote, The common people, especially in the villages, have no knowledge whatever of Christian doctrine. And alas, many pastors are incompetent to teach. Nevertheless, all maintain that they're Christians, have been baptized, received the holy sacraments, yet they do not understand and cannot even recite either the Lord's Prayer or the Creed or the Ten Commandments. They live like dumb brutes. Well, now, Martin Luther was one to put things strongly. You know, you can, I think those things, it was probably good to put that strongly. The, the Creed, you typically hear, hear referred to as the Apostles' Creed, uh, not found verbatim in the Bible, um, but, you know, assembled of the basic, basic things that Christians believe. The Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. Notice that that Martin Luther um, differentiated between understanding the Ten Commandments and reciting them. Same with the Lord's Prayer and the Creed. He said, they do not understand, cannot even recite the Ten Commandments. His view of it was that the beginning is to be able to recite those things And then the continuing effort is to work to understand them. I think you've probably thought things like that or had people say things like that to you. You're teaching 
children, not necessarily just children, but typically children, you're teaching them things, making them learn to recite them, and they might not even understand what they are saying. But a good first step is helping them to learn it by memory and be able to recite it, because when they're just zero years old, they can already just take these things in so well. I'm exaggerating by saying zero years old, but you know, when they're very little, you know, they just learn these things so well and, and so readily compared with when our gray matter gets a little more firm and lumpy later. And, and so we have them, Martin Luther's view was, was to have them learn to recite as preparatory to then understanding. So then, uh, having made those observations, Martin Luther put forth two catechisms. Now, I have uh, just said a moment ago, and have often said that uh, the Puritan movement was good further development of what started you know, earlier, including with uh, Martin Luther. In this case, Martin Luther got something right that then later was not maybe as good in the Puritan movement because in the Puritan movement, of course, we have the larger catechism and the shorter catechism. But Martin Luther had the small catechism and the large catechism. So I'm not sure the Puritan uh, version was an improvement on that. Luther's, he put them um, forth the same year, 1529. Luther's small catechism, Der Kleine Catechismus. And there's a preface to it. Martin Luther wrote some of these things in the preface. In the first place, let the preacher, above all, be careful to avoid many kinds or various texts and forms of the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Sacraments, etc. But choose one form to which he adheres and which he inculcates all the time, year after year. So you probably got that first time through, but in case you you didn't, he he doesn't advocate the pastor. This is important. He brings it up first. That the pastor should not read the Ten Commandments to people in one way of wording it and then later in another way of wording it in the Lord's Prayer, say the Lord's Prayer in one way of wording it and another time in another way of wording it. He advocates the pastor saying those basic things the same every time he speaks them to the congregation. You know how I am. That just, I just loved reading that, right? And I felt vindicated and, and encouraged also because Lord's Prayer, you know, last year and Ten Commandments this year, I have conscientiously read them from the King James Version. I learned them in the King James Version when I was a kid. Some of you all did. And I thought, I'm just going to have it be that in my own conscience, and whenever anybody hears me read these things, it's always going to be in that same uh, traditional way of speaking. Well, I had no idea that Martin Luther had advocated that. Um, It's it's by the same common sense. You know, um, with young people, stick to one fixed permanent form and manner. And teach them, first of all, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer. Teach them the sense or meaning also, 
so that they know what it means. After they understand the first commandment well, then take up the second, and so on. He didn't go on and say, then the third and the fourth, you know, he said the first, second, first, then the second, then so on. Then give them also a richer and fuller knowledge. Here explain at large every commandment, petition, and part, as you find these abundantly stated in many books written about these matters. Again, you know that I just loved reading that. You know, and explain at large every commandment. Well, you know, this is Ten Commandments sermon number 28, and we haven't got to the fourth commandment yet. Uh, one of the members was asking me about that earlier today because I didn't put Ten Commandments in the bulletin. I wasn't sure exactly what title to give at the time I made the bulletin, so I didn't put anything. I said, yes, this is still Ten Commandments. This is sermon 28. And so, I, see, I, I just loved reading that. And I already thought that. And again, it's by the same common sense. I didn't read that in Martin Luther, and he didn't ask me. It just comes from the same thinking about this. Sure, the primary thing is that people know what the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer actually say. But then, when that's established, then, well, what do they mean by what they say? You know, expanding largely on what the uses are of the different petitions in the Lord's Prayer and, and each of the commandments. And then Martin Luther wrote, particularly urge that commandment most which suffers the greatest neglect among your people. Urge that commandment most which suffers the greatest neglect among your people. Again, that's just kind of, you know, common sense. I haven't been thinking very much about that. Maybe just kind of that, I think in general about that, after years of being a pastor of this congregation, you know, I think of you all when preparing what to say. Um, but I'm, I'm planning to think more, more about that. You know, what you seem more in need of in the commandments, you know, what, what gets more pushed aside or, or ignored in our day and time, needs more attention. So that's, that's some of the things that he said in the preface to the small catechism. In the preface to the large catechism, Der Grosse Catechismus, he said, For the common people, we are satisfied with the three parts which have remained in Christendom from of old, until both young and old who are called and wish to be Christians are well trained in them and familiar with them. These are the following. First, the Ten Commandments of God. Second, the chief articles of our faith. And then he has in brackets the creed, the Apostles' Creed. Thirdly, the prayer, or our Father, which Christ taught, by which he means the Lord's Prayer. You know how in... Roman Catholic circles, I think even today, they refer to the Lord's Prayer as the Our Father. And back in Martin Luther's time, I think, you know, in Latin, Latin, however exactly you say, Pater Noster, um, they, they referred to it as that, since those are the first words. So please take note of what Martin Luther's opinion on this was. 
he is considering all of Christian doctrine, and he then refers to the three parts which have remained in Christendom from of old. I don't know how far back he is envisioning, all the way back to the apostles or back to Augustine or whatever, from old. His opinion is that these three parts of Christian doctrine have been in Christendom from of old. First, the Ten Commandments. Second, the Creed. Third, the Lord's Prayer. So the Ten Commandments were spoken by God to Israel at Mount Sinai in the time of Moses. But what are we to do with the Ten Commandments today as the disciples of Jesus Christ and his congregation in the New Covenant? Well, Martin Luther advocated teaching everyone the Ten Commandments. Then in his sermons, Martin Luther taught many times that the Ten Commandments are useful to us today in several ways. Now, I haven't, I had not read Martin Luther's sermons before, I don't think, maybe once or one, but I found that uh, collected sermons of Martin Luther were published in eight volumes, and just like with so many other things, um, some enterprising, hardworking people have put a lot of the classic Christian literature on free, easy-to-access websites, and so on uh, monergism.com, I found those eight volumes of Luther's sermons in eight PDF files. And so all I had to do was just click on number one and control F, Ten Commandments. And it took me to all the places that the Ten, Martin Luther mentioned the Ten Commandments. And he might have mentioned them by other names, God's law or things, but I just put in Ten Commandments. And then I went through, you know, through the eight, but it just only, it was a, you know, one delightful afternoon to go through and just get all the, all these references. And then I would read a little bit of the context and see what he was getting at and, and uh, copy some excerpts if it seemed particularly helpful. And so I found that in Martin Luther's sermons, there was frequent reference to the Ten Commandments, lots more than I can um, put to you. I shouldn't say lots more. I forget how much more than what I can put to you in these few minutes. But Martin Luther preached that the Ten Commandments show sinners their need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in theology, I believe that's referred to as the first use of the law. Showing sinners their sinfulness, their need of salvation in Jesus Christ. I'll now um, make some quotes from Luther's sermons. Luther said, Thus sin must first be known and experienced before we can preach grace. The law is needed to gain such a knowledge, and it is necessary to instruct the people, diligently teach them the Ten Commandments. Martin Luther said, Nor can it enter any heart to confess sin unless the Ten Commandments show it what sin is and why it is sin. 
I'll turn next to Matthew chapter 22. Um, I found this reference uh, particularly enlightening and helpful to me. Uh, Maybe it will be to you also. Matthew 22, starting in verse 35. Matthew 22:35 Then one of them a lawyer asked him a question testing him and saying teacher which is the great commandment in the law Jesus said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So here's what Martin Luther said about that. In the gospel, Christ answers the question the Pharisees put to him, which is the greatest commandment in the law, and in turn asks them the question, what think ye of the Christ, whose son is he? Thus the gospel presents to us that which we continually hear and should hear, so that these two sermons must continue to be preached in Christendom, namely, the first, the teaching of the law or of the Ten Commandments, and the second, the doctrine concerning the grace of Christ. For if either of these fall it pulls the other down with it. While on the other hand, wherever the one remains steadfast and is faithfully put into practice, it brings the other with it. So there, Martin Luther was very strongly advocating in various sermons the first use of the law. Teaching people the Ten Commandments that they know what they are, preaching them to him, expounding on them, putting them to people's conscience, so that the sinner understands what sin is and that he is a sinner. And then accompanying that or following that with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? Why does he matter? What has he done for us? and telling of how Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, telling of how Jesus Christ became for us the curse of the law that God pronounced on any who don't obey the law, how Jesus Christ becoming the curse for us then made it to where we who believe in him are not cursed with that curse, but instead are uh, heirs to the blessings that are promised. Uh, the Ten Commandments preached, that then the gospel also may be preached, and the sinner uh, will know he needs it. Martin Luther, in his sermons, also preached that the Ten Commandments tell the Christian how rightly to live the Christian life. 
In theology, I believe that is referred to the third use of the law. Uh, of course, there's a second use of the law. I'm, I'm not going to mention that. I, I didn't see that in the sermons that I uh, got from God in Martin, Martin Luther. And so here's Martin Luther preaching it, and he says, When we have received such grace and salvation, have been baptized into Christ and believe, understand the situation that he's addressing? The person who believes and has been baptized, received salvation by God's grace? His will is that we should afterwards live accordingly, obey God, and do what is commanded us in the Ten Commandments. There's what Martin Luther said about that. And, and, and again he said, But Paul, in fact, the entire scriptures, teaches no other good works than God enjoins upon all men in the Ten Commandments and which pertain to the common conditions of life. True, these make not such brilliant show in the eyes of the world, as do the self-appointed ceremonials, constituting the divine service of hypocrites. Nevertheless, they are true, worthy, good, and profitable works in the sight of God and man. So there, the, there Martin Luther is, is telling us his view that Paul teaches us to do the good works enjoined on us in the Ten Commandments. He's saying the, whole, the entire scriptures do. He says Paul in particular, making reference possibly to the passage read earlier from Romans 13 or other places. I'll turn next to Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> Couldn't very well turn to Ephesians chapter 15, could I? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Now, I have heard some of the sisters, including my wife, um, making much of this scripture as, as well they should. And so I know that this is on your minds, at least several of you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And I've heard you all talking about, you know, what it is, redeeming the time, and... Hear what Martin Luther had to say about that. Be careful to avail yourself of the present opportunity. I know you all think that already. I've heard that talk um, among you. Embrace it while it is near and faithfully consider what he requires of you. To ascertain this, go to the creed and the Ten Commandments they will tell you. How about that? Now, that's pretty simple. Pretty simple, not very showy. Um, you know, think, think about that, whether that's true. You're supposed to redeem the time, take the opportunity you have to do good. How do you know what it is that God requires of you? 
To ascertain this, go to the Creed and the Ten Commandments. They will tell you. Regulate your life by them. Be helped by the Lord's Prayer. Begin with yourself, then pray for the church. Let it be your desire that God's name be everywhere sanctified and that your life conform to his will. If you are faithful in these things, assuredly you will walk wisely. You will avoid sin and do good. For the study and practice of these precepts will leave you no opportunity to do evil. God's word will soon teach you to sanctify his name, to extend his kingdom, to do your neighbor no injury in mind, body, or estate. You know that I have not been entirely neglectful of the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments and the basic things that the Bible teaches us about God and the Holy Spirit and the Son, Jesus Christ, and our salvation. I don't use the Apostles' Creed in particular, you know, but but similar statements in our confession. You know that I haven't been entirely neglectful of those things in my own life or in the ministry of the Word in this church. However, I am not sure I have given as much attention to the power of the Word of God in these things as Martin Luther is is um, recommending there. You know, he, he, he is saying, fill your minds with the Ten Commandments, with the creed, the essential doctrinal truths of our, of our faith, the essentials of theology. Fill your mind with the Ten Commandments and the creed and the Lord's Prayer. Make use of them constantly. And that will very much help you in pushing out and putting to death the things of the flesh. So then Martin Luther preached also that the Ten Commandments help the Christian resist false doctrine. You know that all around us are people saying all kinds of different things. And some things even come up in your own imagination. You haven't even told them by anybody else. And, and that was going on, of course, there was a, a fury of that in the time of Martin Luther. It was kind of like once the floodgates were opened to where people could suggest that maybe not everything the Roman Catholic Church was saying was right, you know, then there was lots of publication and debate and preaching and all kinds of false doctrine, doctrine swirling. And here's what Martin Luther said about that. Various and many spirits. Taking the language from 1 John, you know, there are many spirits. People, people teaching ideas. Various and many spirits have come to me so that I may here confess to my own experience they really tempted me with great excellent words to lead me in a different course and at times presented it so plausible that I was almost brought to a stand. And had I not been cautious, I would also have been misled. For example, into the violent peasants' revolt that was going on um, during his ministry. 
I could do nothing else in order to remain undeceived and remove such apparitions of the devil than as the prophet David teaches Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Then I went to this light, which teaches me what the will of God is, and compared it to these talkers and spiritual boasters, whether it harmonizes with the clear doctrine of the Ten Commandments and faith in Christ. Isn't that, isn't that rather, I keep using the word refreshing, uh, isn't that rather refreshing? Martin Luther, who wrote so much, learned so much, knew so much, he's willing to just say the Ten Commandments and faith in Christ. When I found this was not the case, I immediately cast it away and bravely upon this admonition of Christ judged and condemned it as evil, useless fruit, and a corrupt tree. Do thou likewise and hold fast to the true standard by which all doctrine must be judged, which is God's word and command. Then you can neither err nor fail, and can overthrow the boast and pretensions of all false spirits. For Christ, by this sentence, not he who saith, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my Father, directs and leads us alone to his word, that we may know that those alone are good fruits who walk according to that word. And in another sermon, the wolf is the devil who also has his messengers and preachers. You can see the subject is the same. However, they have not the word, neither the Ten Commandments nor the gospel. Again, hear how Martin Luther reduces it all. You can say more, but if reduced to the essentials, the Ten Commandments and the gospel... They have not the word of God, neither the Ten Commandments nor the Gospel, but they mislead souls by false doctrine and heresies. Now, I'm going to um, cite two other uh, Lutheran ministers from the 1500s, but not at as much length. One of um, Martin Luther's contemporaries and co-workers, Philip Melanchthon. Um, in his defense of Reformation theology and practice, Philip Melanchthon described the Protestants' use of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Augsburg Confession, 1530, was an important statement of what the Protestants believed. It was presented and read aloud to the emperor, and was supported by several of the princes who had become Protestants. Right with the presenting of the Augsburg Confession, Philip Melanchthon also worked on an apology or defense of that confession. So I'm quoting from that. Article 2 of Original Sin. Now in the scriptures, righteousness comprises 
not only the second table of the Decalogue, but the first also, which teaches concerning the fear of God, concerning faith, concerning the love of God. So, original sin. So, in talking about what sin is, what it was that Adam did in his sin, how sin comes to us, what comprises our sinfulness, both the first and second table of the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. In the article on justification, human reason naturally understands in some way the law, for it has the same judgment divinely written in the mind. The natural law agrees with the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. Now you can read that same line of thinking right in our confession. Now the Decalogue requires not only outward works, but it also requires other things, namely, truly to fear God, truly to love God, truly to call upon God. So there Melanchthon is equating the law that God has written into our hearts at creation, that, we, that people know naturally, we've never heard the Ten Commandments, he says, he says that it agrees with the Ten Commandments. Article 4 of Love and the Fulfilling of the Law. It is written in the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And Romans 3, 31, that's the place in my reading that I got the two scripture readings for today. Paul says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. These and similar sentences testify that the law ought to be kept by us more and more when we have been justified by faith. Moreover, we speak not of ceremonies, but of that law which gives commandment concerning the movements of the heart, namely the Decalogue, or Ten Commandments. And then in the article um, about the Mass, not being in favor of the Roman Catholic way, but critical of it. By the favor of God, the pastors among us, you know, they, they're no longer doing the Mass, as in the Roman Catholic system. And they're being criticized, well, what is it you do then? And they're being accused of, of what they do in the worship service, like what we have here. And they're explaining The pastors among us attend to the ministry of the word, teach the gospel concerning the blessings of Christ, and show that the remission of sins occurs freely for Christ's sake. This doctrine brings sure consolation to consciences. The doctrine of the Ten Commandments and good works which God commands is also added the worth and use of the sacraments are declared. So there you go in, in Melanchthon's explanation to, the, to, his, to their critics. Here's what we do in worship. The ministers minister in the gospel and the Ten Commandments. They explain baptism and the Lord's Supper. They talk about remission of sins, not by putting a coin in the box, um, or, or by spending the, enough years in purgatory. No, by 
the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. Um, I will speak even more briefly than that on a third Lutheran um, scholar and pastor, not um, contemporary with Martin Luther uh, and Philip Melanchthon, the, the next generation. In his second generation expression of Lutheran doctrine, Martin Chemnitz maintained the use of the Ten Commandments. I don't know very much of this history. You know, I, a lot of, I know a lot of history about Martin Luther himself, the events around him. Um, uh, I, mean, I mean, not a lot, but you know, the, what's, what's common knowledge. But then I, I haven't studied what came next after that. But there was an attempt in the second half of the 1500s to unite the various Lutheran groups that had sprung up in the Reformation. Part of that effort was the publication of the Formula of Concord, which has uh, different parts to it. The part that they refer to as the Solid Declaration, that might have suffered in the translation from German to English, the Solid Declaration of 1577. Martin Chemnitz was one of the main authors. He was the only one whose name I had ever heard before. And they have a section on the third use of the law. And so here's what it says in the book of Conc Formula of Concord. The Holy Ghost employs the law so as to teach the regenerate from it, those already born again, and to point out and show them in the Ten Commandments what is the good and acceptable will of God, Romans 12, 2, and in what good works God hath before ordained that they should work, walk, Ephesians 2.10. Now, think about that for a minute. Those verses have got a lot of mileage in our Christian training, I think. Romans 12, 12, 2. Um, the, uh, I'll turn to it for, for a moment. You may be able to uh, recite it. And maybe I could if I risked saying it wrong here in front of you and on the recording, which I'm not going to. Um, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, Chemnitz is writing that what is meant by the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is what's commanded in the Ten Commandments. Uh, he wouldn't you know, limit it to, to merely that, but he, that's, that's what he's saying it is. Um, Ephesians 2.10. I know we spent a good bit of time working on this in our um, 9.30 a.m. studies um, a few months ago. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Martin Chemnitz is writing that those references about us doing the good works once the Lord has saved us we should primarily think Ten Commandments. Paul, when exhorting to the regenerate to do good works, presents to them expressly the Ten Commandments, Romans 13, 9, as read to us earlier, and that his good works are imperfect and impure, 
he recognizes from the law, from the Ten Commandments, Romans 7, verses 7 and following. When Paul testified, I thought I was doing fine until thou shalt not covet got a hold of me. Um, so, so Chemnitz is putting it to us there, which we also heard earlier. Um, it is Pauline. It is of Paul to see the Ten Commandments as a unit still functioning for us as the Ten Commandments and to refer to them to instruct us Christians um, the third use of the law. Luther, Melanchthon, and Chemnitz are not authorities over us. Neither are Augustine, Calvin, Edwards, Spurgeon, Renahan, or Renahan, or Renahan, or any other theologians. Even our own pastors, you know, me or any others in the future in this congregation or in the other congregations in which we're in association, even our own pastors are not worthy of implicit faith. Oh, we read it in those famous authors, or Brother Jeff said it, therefore it must be true. That's, that's not the equation. Remember the noble-minded Bereans. They checked the scriptures to see if even the Apostle Paul was right in what he preached. How much more common pastors, not apostles. We are the disciples of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and no one else. We are under the authority of his word as delivered to us by his apostles and prophets here in the Bible. But how rightly to interpret the word of God, how best to apply it to ourselves, that can be difficult and tricky. The Bible is full of the records of how people misapplied and misunderstood God's word. Much of the Bible's doctrine is expressed as correction of wrong opinions and practices. All of that continues today so that we hear a variety of opinions about what the word of God means and how we should live by it. The born again, the regenerate, the new creations in Christ Jesus have the help of the Holy Spirit illuminating the scriptures for us. The Holy Spirit is not still giving new revelation to be added to the Bible, but he always is helping us by illumination. If you ever find yourself about to say, I was reading the Bible the other day and God really revealed something to me. Um, I know that's a common way to say it in technical theological terminology. No, what you were reading was revealed to Paul long ago. Um, what is happening there in theological terminology is you are receiving illumination, not revelation. I don't want to, you know, condemn as heretic anybody who will say, you know, God revealed something to me the other day when I was reading the Bible, and they'll quote what the Bible reveals, you know, that person's uh, doing okay. Um, just so that you'll be clear on the distinction. Um, 
the Holy Spirit is not still giving new revelation, but he is, he is helping us by illumination that we understand the scriptures better and better as we read and hear them during our life in this world. That inner help from the Holy Spirit is accompanied by the work of pastors and teachers given to the congregations by the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. What pastors and teachers say is not correct just because they said it. The biggest name in theologians through history, Luther and Calvin and etc. Something's not right just because they said it. Remember, John Calvin said, you really need to be careful not to do anything unscriptural in baptism. Just sprinkle the baby and nothing else. You know, so, so not everything, something is not right just because some well-known, helpful theologian has said it or your own pastor or anything like that. But the best teachers from church history do deserve our attention and serious consideration. They differ on certain subjects, but when many of them sing in chorus, it is well worth our seriously considering whether what they're saying may be true. In the case of the Lutheran theologians I have referenced today, their doctrine of the Ten Commandments, which I read you excerpts from today, well, it's just the same, you know, very nearly, as our Puritan doctrine as expressed in our 1689 Confession, and very much the same as what then uh, came across and was the doctrine of the uh, particular Baptists in America in, in past centuries. I believe that view of the Ten Commandments to be true. I, I believe those uses of the Ten Commandments as a unit for us today, um, as these Lutheran scholars from the 1500s put to you, I believe that, and I urge it upon you also, and I would caution you not to reject it unless upon the strongest um, conviction. Amen. Let's pray.